Hello, I'm Devin Moore. I'm a Humanity Rising Ambassador and the founder of Hashtag Race to Speak Up, an anti-bullying organization. Humanity Rising is a student-led movement to create a more compassionate world through service. We help students find their service passion and give them a voice to help them share what they are doing to make a positive difference in the world. Welcome to our Humanity Rising Voices podcast series, Creating World Peace Through Unity, hosted by Steve Sterling. We are really excited to have you guys here today. Joining Steve is Kevin Locke. Kevin Locke is Lakota and Anishinaabe. He is a preeminent player of the Native American flute, a traditional storyteller, cultural ambassador, recording artist, fluent Lakota language and sign language speaker, and educator. Kevin uses folk arts to emphasize universal themes that are integral to all peoples. Universality of human spirit, its inclination towards peace, balance, harmony, and a longing that all human beings have for the divine springtime are a few central themes that he displays in his hoop dance, which is essentially a, play a prayer for the unification of all mankind. There will be time for Q&A, and now I'll turn it over to Steve to begin. Devin, it's always good to see you. Um, so Devin, uh, I highly recommend if you get a chance to watch Kevin perform, because I think you'll find it very interesting. <clears throat> he's uh, just to see, you know, to me, he's really done a great job preserving the culture. Uh, Kevin, if you could tell us a little bit for starters about the Patricia Locke Foundation, what you do there, why you do it, that would be wonderful. Maybe as a point of starting. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad. I'm, and I'd like to, uh, I'd like to greet all the uh, listeners there and uh, express my appreciation to uh, Humanity Rising for this opportunity. And, uh, you know, my mother, uh, her name was uh, Patricia Locke, and uh, throughout her adult life, she really was an activist. She was such an activist, and she, uh, her, her, her theme was uh, justice, was justice. And so she, she really um, exerted and dedicated so much to this, uh, to this goal. And so um, she, uh, she worked in, uh, to, in the, mostly in the field of education. And during the uh, 60s and 70s and 80s, she was a pioneer in, um, you know, uh, like authoring, establishing tribal colleges throughout, uh, throughout the United States. Also, um, she worked tirelessly for, uh, to, uh, to provide infrastructure to support not just colleges. She was uh, instrumental in, in, uh, in uh, not just writing, but uh, ensuring that the bill was passed called the po uh, Indian Post-Secondary Education Act. She was also instrumental in um, the uh, Indian Child Welfare Act. The, um, she, was, uh, she did a lot of work. In fact, she was one of the key players in uh, the passage of the uh, uh, Indian Freedom of Religion Act, which was passed in 1978. So it, it's kind of ironic, you think of the fact that uh, people came from Europe and different parts of the world seeking religious freedom here in the, on this land, in this continent, but yet one of the first things they did was to totally suppress uh, the devotional expression of the indigenous people. So that was, uh, uh, you know, ex expression, freedom of expression of, um, of, the, of the spirit, spiritual teachings was outlawed, officially outlawed in the United States until 1978 with the passage of that 
American Indian Freedom of Religion Act. So anyway, I'm just say, just saying a little bit about uh, some of the things that my mom was uh, active in, was, and there's many, many other things. So then, uh, even though she passed away in 2001, we just decided that we wanted to uh, establish a foundation to uh, provide continuity to some of the things that she was so so uh, she stood so steadfastly for. And I might add that uh, she served on the uh, National Spiritual Assembly of the Baha'is of the United States for the last eight years before her passing in 2001. So, uh, so we have this foundation, the Patricia Locke Foundation, and we're doing a lot of things. One of the things that's really exciting is this, uh, is this um, uh, 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 nutrition and uh, uh, food sovereignty initiative. Uh, and it's, we're partnering with the uh, North Dakota State University Extension Office there on the, at Standing Rock and in the community of Fort Yates, which is about only 45 miles from our home in Wakapala, on the, also on Standing Rock. And what we're doing is uh, we're getting these um, tower gardens going. And through these tower gardens, it not only provides year-round nutrition, but we're also incorporating the uh, STEM education, all the basic science, math, literacy, all these programs to um, enable the kids to not only get that nutritional benefit, but also to learn, uh, uh, get foundational teachings as well. And of course, we have the, the spiritual cultural component as well. So that's a little bit about what we're currently doing with the uh, foundation. Thanks for asking. It's, it's my pleasure. As you know, I'm a supporter of the foundation and yes. specifically the Tower Gardens. Um, I love, you know, one thing, we're both Baha'is, Baha'u'llah taught that um, food is medicine. And he was yeah. saying back in the 1800s. And so mm -hmm. um, it's very interesting because we have COVID now and now it's coming out that our diets are very influential. If you look at um, the underlying symptoms that cause problems with COVID, a lot of diet is a huge problem. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's a huge problem with with other diseases diseases as well, but COVID seems to really pick on that particular thing. So I exactly. think one thing that will come out of this um, eventually will be a, uh, a little bit more of an emphasis on wellness and eating mm -hmm. and exercise, diet and exercise. Um, and Absolutely. So I, I know that it's hard on a reservation, maybe you can explain, because it, it's hard on a reservation to get healthy food, is that correct? Yeah, well, uh... You know that the the region that uh, we live in is uh, in the Upper Missouri, and you know the Missouri River Valley, for thousands and thousands of years, has been an oasis of uh, of a, a, like a uh, how do you call that? Like a cornucopia. This like it's 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 been such a, a uh, such a uh, foundation for the people because it's provided not only you know the the food, the shelter all the wildlife that, that's required, the, the medicines, but also, you know, there's been over a thousand years of, uh, of intense horticulture along the river. But then in the 1950s, you know, with the passage of the, uh, the uh, Pick Sloan yeah. Act, the, uh, the, uh, all of the uh, reservation lands of the upper Missouri were, were dammed up and flooded. And so this, this completely eliminated the, the, the basic uh, 
a nutritional foundation of the people who had, uh, who had you know, grown crops there and lived along that river valley. So that was, that was an incredible upheaval and destruction of uh, the nutritional foundation of the people. So the people are not uh, able to, to raise the food. Also, the, the game that was dependent upon that, that uh, Missouri River Valley um, uh, ecosystem was dispersed and uh, largely destroyed. So this is a, a great step in the direction of restoring uh, nutritional and food sovereignty to the area. And since it's very, very sparsely populated, our reservation area, there's not enough uh, uh, fresh produce and food which is, can be that's transported there to provide the, uh, the nutritional needs of the people. So like we do have two stores, two grocery stores on the reservation. And then in order to get uh, more groceries, then you have to go to maybe up to Mandan or Bismarck, North Dakota. You can go to Mobridge, South Dakota. So you have to go some distance to get food. Uh, so this is a wonderful step that we're, we're doing to provide not just the nutrition, but also, of course, education and everything else for the community. You know, what you brought up kind of seg gives me a segue into a topic we talked about just now, which is racism is a huge topic all around the country right now. But mm -hmm. I think in racism, what's been done to the Native Americans is sometimes ignored. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and I, I just read something very touching recently about, it was, it was that the ghosts, even the, the, uh, even the ghosts of the past were destroyed. And so, you know, so thoroughly was the culture destroyed. Um, I remember I had a conversation a couple months ago with a mutual friend, Mary, you know, Mary. She's from Alaska. I think she lives in Seattle now. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so she told me something I hadn't known. Um, I'm, I come from a Jewish background and mm -hmm. we're very, very focused on the Holocaust and we lost 6 million people in just mm -hmm. a matter of a few years. And she said, mm -hmm. what about the Indian Holocaust? And I said, what do you mean? And I didn't know that there was an Indian, there was a Native American, I should say Native American, not Indian, but the Native American Holocaust um, from a population of 50 to 5 million. I mean, that was over several years, but that was a Holocaust, right? Just like Yeah, the, I think the most conservative uh, population estimates are, are like around 15 million people. And then it ranges from that up to like 30, 30 million plus in North, just that's just North America. And that population, let's say the average, let's say there's 20 million people here, 25 million people here in 1492. And then that was reduced down to just a little over 200,000 people in 1900. So it's, uh, in terms of, uh, that's just on this continent, not, not counting South America, Central America, but it's uh, uh, historically, on a, from a global historical perspective, it's one of the greatest population decimations uh, known uh, historically. Yeah. So of course, in the United States, you know, that the main policy in the United States was uh, extermination of the people, extermination. Right. Yeah, yeah. So that was, you know, there's a there's a well-known book. It's uh, called uh, American Holocaust. You might want to look at it. It's very well documented. It's by Stannard. His, his name was S-T-A-N-N-A-R-D. But it's, uh, anyway, he's a scholar and he does incredible research. And I can't read it. 
it's too horrific to read. But it's, uh, yeah, but Mary's right. This is, uh, I think, uh, historically one of the greatest holocausts occurred. And you no, know, this is a great stain on, uh, on US history. And so this is what, uh, this is why, remember, uh, sen uh, he just passed away, Senator Lewis was talking about the uh, redemption of the soul of America. So it not only includes uh, slavery, but it's also the uh, genocide of the indigenous people of this land. Yeah. Well, Kevin, I, you know, I'm, I wasn't here, but no. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry <laughs> yeah. for what your ancestors had to go through. I know what mine did. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, I feel as a Baha'i, I feel sadness at any, at any inhumane activity towards any of the human being, towards any hatred. Um, yeah, yeah. I know uh, you had said right before we started, you're a global citizen and you know, your, your concern is for the whole world. And it's amazing to come out of that. You know, I've seen it sometimes with people who've been oppressed that they get angry and they mm -hmm. say, you know, look, I don't, I've had enough of you. You're the one who did this and I don't want to talk to you, but you have, you know, I've known you for a while. I've never seen anything. I'm sure you, you know, get angry. I'm sure you, you, you know, like you said, it's hard to see the book, but you, you, you've responded with such love. How did you do that? How did you get to a place where you love all people from coming from such a tragic start? Well, uh, yeah, it is really horrific to meditate upon that. And of course, you know, we know that in the U.S., the, um, the, uh, the, it's the black-white issue is the most vital and challenging issue. Now, it's really like the tip of the arrowhead. And until the, until the U.S. can make progress on that issue, everything else is secondary. Everything else is secondary. But uh, for me personally, you know, before I was a Baha'i, it was just agonizing to see all of this injustice and, you know, the historical uh, uh, circumstances are, were so horrific. And so, um, uh, and, you know, I just couldn't process it, couldn't deal with it. But then when early on as a Baha'i, I was, I had a chance to go to uh, Washington, D.C. This is, I became a Baha'i around 79 or 80, I think it was around 1980. And I was in D.C. and I went to the Baha'i Center there, and there was a, 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 a man there. His name was uh, Dubois Johnson, Dubois Johnson. Never forget him. And uh, anyway, he was one of the, one of the uh, first Baha'is I met. You know, I was just on, on a short trip to D.C. And uh, he was really excited about, he's been studying the, uh, uh, he had been studying the uh, tablets of the divine plan, which is really the, the charter or the manifesto for the spiritual conquest of the planet. And it was entrusted to the uh, uh, Baha'is of North America uh, on behalf of not only everybody living at that time, but all the future generations. But he, but I, I got that book and I started reading it and I just couldn't put it down because it was so exciting because I saw all the roles that are portrayed in the tablets of divine plan are are heroic roles because when I had been so depressed and 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 uh, concerned about, anguished about, I should say, was that uh, history puts everybody in such compromising uh, roles. You know, like historically, you look at history and then you, you know there's all these this drama, this dra traumatic drama that's been played out. Like people have been forced to be like enslaved, the enslaved, enslavers. The conquered, the conquerors, the exploited, the exploiters. It's really such a horrific uh, 
drama that's been played out here in, uh, especially in the United States. And for what? It's for the, uh, in order to gain ascendancy over resources, over resources. But then when I read Tablets of Divine Plan, I could see all these heroic roles and, and the field of conquest, if you could call it conquest, is the collective soul of humanity. And so in that, in that arena, there, there, there's no bad guys. No, <laughs> the only, but, yeah, yeah, I've, I've, been, I, I've been talking on the internet about that, Kevin. And yeah. uh, so last night I was actually uh, conversing with some Baha'is who were really angry at billionaires. And, and yeah. I, happened, I happened to be one. And yeah. uh, so, you know, rich people. And, and yeah. I said to them, I said, look, you know, I'm, I'm not saying all rich people are good, but I'm also not saying all rich people are bad. We should just give, you know, everyone's part of everyone. <laughs> and rich yeah. people are included. And That's you it. may not like something, you may not agree with someone on everything, you may not agree with them on anything, but they're still part yeah. of the human race. We as Baha'is have to love them. Now we can hate the system. And I, by the way, agree with them. I said, look, the system's bad. I shouldn't have this much money while people are, are starving. And that's what Baha'u'llah said. But the system is what's broken. I may or may not, you know, I didn't, I just happened to have a company that went public. And my wife and I, our goal is to not, I, I, my goal is not to die a billionaire. I want to give yeah. my money away. And, and yeah. So, but on the other hand, you, you know, the, there are inequities in the system, tremendous inequities, which need to be done away with, but they can't be done away with, with hate, even, you know, no. like I said, against anybody. And that's, um, that wasn't necessarily a popular opinion because nowadays people, even some Baha'is want to hate the other. And yeah. as a Baha'i, there is no other. That's right. There's, and, you know, you and I, I think it's really cool as we come from very different backgrounds. You come from a native. American indigenous background. I come from a Jewish background. Yet, we've read the same books. We embrace the same books. We embrace the same truth. And to me, when I see you walk in the room, I feel like you're my brother. That's honestly yeah. how I feel. In a Absolutely, second, you walk yeah. in the room, and yeah. that's how the future of humanity. I really think when I look at the faith, that's the the thing that if you really watch the faith, you know, I have high friends of all shapes and colors, women and men, and there's that special spark that Baha'u'llah has united us. I really think it's Baha'u'llah, the spirit of Baha'u'llah. I see it in your eyes. I feel it when you walk in the room. And there's that love there. And that is that love that unites all of humanity. I think we just need to get out of each other's way in the sense that we need to understand that it's actually easy. We're almost holding back. It's The, the truth is very easy. We're one. Mm -hmm. The barriers into the way to that oneness are all barriers that we hold that are um, I don't know if you've ever done in the Rui book where they talk about, I think it's Rui too, where they say you have a box of rocks and you have to get mm -hmm. exchange it for a box of gems. Mm -hmm. It's the sacrifice of the yeah, bag, yeah. Of, sorry, bag of rocks. And so yeah. we're all carrying around this bag of rocks that we think is so valuable. And if we would just let go and give it up, we'd have a bag of gems in its place. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's such beautiful lessons in those, uh, those books. I'm glad you, glad you brought that up. That's great. So, so anyway, I think I'll give you a little story, kind of about forgiveness. My mm -hmm. father, um, my father, um, his family. He he was the first one born in the United States, and my father mm -hmm. was born in 1937. When he was a very young boy, he found out that most of his family, including his grandfather, who had stayed in Poland, was dead. 19 mm -hmm. members of his family, mm -hmm. and. 
my father um, is a pretty big guy. I'm, as you know, I'm very tall. My father is, is like me. If you crunch me down six inches, he was yeah. uh, six foot tall. And even at his lightest, he was about 190, 200 pounds. He was a big, solid guy. And he was a boxer oh. in college. And he was an engineer and he worked for a company when he was in his 20s. I think this was maybe before I was born. It, was in, it would have been in the early 60s. And there was a, um, might've been right when I was a baby, me early to mid 60s. So he, my dad was in his 20s. He was a very powerful guy. And this guy came who had fought for the German army um, mm -hmm. in World War II. And my dad saw him. And every time he saw him, my dad just went dead red. And you know, they pretty much almost had to restrain my dad from beating him up every day. My mm -hmm. dad was very mean to him. And, and one day the guy came up to my dad and very bravely asked him to lunch. Mm -hmm. probably risking his life in doing so. My father, <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. My father wanted to kill him. I mean, yeah. think about it. 19 members of his family, all that rage. And, and my father knew how to do it. But he, um, he went to lunch with them and he said, my dad's name is Sai. He said, Sai, I'm not an op. I didn't know what they were doing. I fought for Germany. I fought for my country. I did that. But I'm not a Nazi. And I don't approve of what they did. And I don't hate Jews. And I'm sorry for what my country did. And my dad, for his part, which was very good, forgave him. And they became friends after that. Oh, that's a wonderful story. Yeah. And, and uh, I think we have to look at, when we, start, when we stop looking at each other as the oppressor and the oppressed, mm -hmm. we start looking at us as humans. Um, Forgiveness is a big part of this. Um, mm -hmm. I um, I would love to know, uh, and in, actually, you know, I know the Baha'i writings talk a lot about Native Americans, about the indigenous people. Um, can you maybe give us a little short piece about the future? Because I think it's so beautiful. Well, I think the main uh, quote that people use quite a bit is the, uh, again, it's, it's from the Tablets of Divine Plan. And now there's, I think, a more recent translation of this but i i've got that old book and that's when i that really stuck with me it says so abdul baha says uh it says um you must attach great importance to these indians should these indians be educated and properly guided there can be no doubt that through the divine teachings they shall become so enlightened that the whole earth will be illumined so that's that i think is one of, i think that's the most important quote uh concerning uh, indigenous people and uh you know the main uh the main thing that i the things that, I, that stick out to me in that quotation would be the um educated and properly guided so a lot of people that jumps out at them they think well they've got to go to yale or harvard but no it, that is, to me, that's uh, because the next, the next uh, phrase qualifies that. It says, through the divine teachings, through, divine, through the divine teachings. And really, we're, we're living at such a wonderful moment in time now where we really do have this the, the infrastructure available to provide that spiritual education. The spiritual education, of course, you mentioned before, uh, moments ago, the uh, institute process. Institute process, which which equips people with, with with knowledge, understanding, and and more importantly, the skill set to serve. That's why I like this humanity rising so much because it's all about service. 
it's all about, about service. And that's our true station as human beings is to, is to be of service. That's our, really our only station that we can aspire to is to be of service. And within that arena, that's where, you know, all these uh, roles that are enunciated and delineated in the tablets of divine plan. And you know, you know what they are, it's like a gnat into an eagle, an atom into suns, a, uh, we can all be like uh, fruitful trees overshadowing all these regions. And it's really every sentence is laden with these roles. And I know initially they might sound just poetic, but really they're, 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 they're analogs, they're metaphors. And I think one of the first uh, uh, roles which is, which is spelled out for, uh, to become is to be, to be morning stars shining from the horizons of the world. So really we all have these, uh, these, these, these uh, mandates, these assignments, all of us do. And so just like we know that the uh, people of African descent are the people of the eye, the people of the eye, the, 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 the place to which all that illumination is transmitted and that, that spirit is, uh, is, is, is revealed to the pupil. And so, the, of course, even, you know, even in the quote I mentioned from the tablets of the divine plan about indigenous people, the, uh, they shall become so enlightened that they will illumine, that the whole earth will be illumined. And so, uh, so really, I don't, is it the other way? Is it become so illumined? Anyway, it's one of those. I but think you had it right the first time. So enlightened that the whole earth, the whole earth will be illumined. Um, the way I look at it is that most of American society almost ignores Native Americans, you know, that, and, and our history, unfortunately, our great history. And I think to a certain extent, to a, a large extent, we ignore Black people as well, to mm -hmm. African Americans. And what needs to happen, especially in the corridors of power, um, there need to be Native American voices. There need to be African American voices, um, Latin American voices. There needs to be female voices. There, you know, we are a beautiful tapestry of humanity. And as Abdul Baha said, he said, "We're flowers of a garden." Mm -hmm. And he said right after, he said, "You know, if you just have one color flower, it's not nearly as pretty." No. And we, I think, I actually think God in his, in his in eternal wisdom designed us as a society to have all of us together, working together. And it doesn't work if we don't listen to each other, if we shut out a piece of, because you are a necessary piece of society, as am I. But if only my voice is heard, then we fail together. And that's one of the beautiful things about the faith is that we, we are one and this idea of oneness, you know, this time that we're in this tumultuous time, I don't know if you've noticed this because I don't, you know, I'm, I'm very involved in a lot of different activities, companies and nonprofits. Mm -hmm. And I just had this um, talk with a couple of people the last couple of days. We actually had uh, some guests over for lunch. And one of them is, uh, is a uh, president of a, a fairly large size college. And people are mm -hmm. having a, a lot, you know, almost like post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. Mm -hmm. um, I think that we're paying the price for our failure. Well, of course, the, the writings say this, the House just said this, and the, uh, the NSA of the United States just said this, the National Spiritual Assembly, that 
the solution to this is acknowledgement of the oneness of humanity. And I mm -hmm. believe that we are kind of coming to the solution. And I think these, these events of 2020, this really, on the one hand, terrible year, um, I'll use a Baha'i word if you, you know, know this hidden word, this calamity, you might say. Mm -hmm. Calamity yeah. is our problem. And so I, that's the way I see it. I guess, first of all, do you see the extra stress with the people you're interacting with? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's, it's, it is really, uh, it's really harrowing. You know, uh, in, in, in South Dakota, several of the tribes have uh, quarantined and they've, they've closed off, they've blockaded the exterior boundaries of the reservation so that uh, uh, if you're not a tribal member, you can't get on or off. Yeah, so some of the, some of the tribes are really taking it very seriously, you know, the health because of the, uh, the underlying con health conditions of the people makes it perilous for, for this uh, COVID. I mean, more than other populations because of the high rate of diabetes. And again, it's, it's health related. It's very by much the, health related. Yeah. By, by the way, yeah. Kevin, um, we're investing in a company um, that reverses type two diabetes. Wonderful. And so when we have this thing down, I will, I will give it to you and we'll figure out a way to get it up there. Um, yeah, it's just epidemic. It's just epidemic. My mom died from that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, among uh, Native, Native uh, uh, Hispanic and African-American populations, there it's, it's epidemic. And I think it's a big, one of the big problems is poverty. You know, oh, yeah. it's not genetic. You know, um, I have a very good friend. I don't know if you ever met my friend, Bill Strickland. Have you heard that name? I might, I might know of him, yes. He's in Pittsburgh. You guys should know each other if you haven't met. Yeah, you, know, you, yeah. you would love him. To you, he's, he's a kindred spirit with the two of us. Um, right. Anyway, I, Bill is not really my friend. He's my brother. But he, he, one of his favorite things that I repeat is, there's nothing wrong with poor folks except for the fact that they're poor. You know, that's their yeah. disease. <laughs> and he says, it, he says it better than me. Uh, yeah. I think that, you know, this idea that black people or, or, or uh, indigenous people have diabetes naturally makes no sense. No. <clears throat> if you give any, everyone, if you give anyone a poor diet and poor health care um, and a lot of stress, it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. And your color of your skin or who your parents were doesn't matter at all. I mean, it's right. what COVID is doing is it's, it's showing this underlying injustice. And I think that's why a lot of people are so angry. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's really, it's really, um, it's really uh, um, like this powerful force moving through the world that's changing everything so rapidly. Yeah. But it, it's showing this interconnectedness because, you know, I, I have yeah. this, speaking of the institute process, we, we do, we're doing about a half dozen different uh, Rui classes. That's what we call Baha'i study groups. And mm -hmm. uh, the last, this group, we just started our, our second book, book two. And mm -hmm. it asked, why do you, why do you teach the Baha'i faith? And, and what I said in both classes, and I meant this, is if, if everyone, if the Baha'i faith, if we were at the World Commonwealth, which is actually spoken about in the Baha'i writings, the future, united world, Baha'i world commonwealth, where we're all on the same page, there's no more war, um, huge medical advances. I, if we were at that level, we would not have uh, COVID. COVID would have disappeared. Yeah. 
and it would have never ever happened. It would have been done before. Mm -hmm. It would have been killed before it started. And yeah. I, a couple people in class said, you know, really? And so I went to the writings and I showed them the writings and the writings are very, very clear about what's going to happen in the future. But, you know, mm -hmm. just imagine, it's not that hard to imagine. Imagine that the Chinese government was part of a world government and they were like a state, like the United States of America, the United countries of the world. Mm -hmm. And there's an outbreak. So if New York has an outbreak, they're going to cooperate with Texas. They're not going to hide it. They're going to tell Texas. They're going to tell Florida. Yeah. And that's what we did in this country. Although we have some other problems in this country, some people who don't believe in science, which is yeah. another story. Um, that's, as you know, one of the big things in the Baha'i faith, the harmony of science and religion. Yeah. Um, but if we had that in China, if we had the harmony of science and religion, we had world peace and they were part of a world um, commonwealth, they would have protected the world because um, Baha'u'llah says, let your vision be world embracing. If they really, if, if the whole Chinese government thought like that, they would have immediately closed down that city, mm -hmm. locked it down and, and kept it in that city until they could mm -hmm. figure it out. Mm -hmm. And the world would have been there to help them. That's right. Yeah. What a wonderful vision. It, it'll happen. It'll happen. Oh, yeah. But we just, yeah. But it's up to us in this generation to uh, to get that momentum going. It's just like, I always think of it, you know, like, you know, well, you live in, in the Chicago area. And so people think of uh, springtime as this really paradis parad paradise, this beautiful time. But, you know, you and I know that it, in the northern climates, you know, springtime is can be uh, chaotic, can be the worst storms, worst blizzards, you know, deluge, downpour of rain, uh, howling winds, everything. But uh, we and at the at the beginning of uh, springtime, all you see is a mess. But unless you know what's what's going to happen, you just believe that things are getting worse and worse. And that's kind of where we are today in the world. It looks like things are getting worse and worse, but you know, I, I think like as Baha'is, we know that we're at the beginning stages of the springtime. It's just that we have to, we have to uh, create the uh, in infrastructure with a foundation so that all this beauty can take root and take root because, you know, there's this, uh, there's right now, there's this, uh, there's this, um, you know, escalating conflict between forces of disintegration and integration. And so it, it looks like the forces of disintegration are winning. <laughs> it looks like they're winning because yes, and you that's know, what the, news, the news, right? Yeah, the news reinforces it every twenty minutes. You know, you get a get a fresh uh, fresh story about economies collapsing and all this uh, all this uh, you know this political system just so corrupt and all these things. You know, but um, so we get that blow by blow. But unless we know that it's really it's setting the stage for something wonderful to take place. Now, that's not to say that we're not going to go through some kind of a, some kind of a um, unprecedented, uh, you know, catastrophe that can actually further unite humankind. But that's that's the goal. We can we can run, but we can't hide from that from the oneness of humanity and the need now to 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 unite. Well, what's beautiful is I hear so many people saying that now. So, yeah. so many people throughout the world are now saying unity. I mean, mm -hmm. it is, you know, I can say to almost anybody now, you know, we need to understand that we're one human family. 
And yeah. before I would get funny looks, a lot of people just ignoring me. But, um, you know, I, I talked about it with our friend, uh, Ken Bowers, who is the secretary of the National Spiritual Assembly for the Highs. Mm -hmm. And you know, he and I both have felt, feel that receptivity to our ideas of the oneness of humanity are at an all time high. And he's been a Baha'i as well. And I know you've That's been, right. how, long, how long have you been a Baha'i? About uh, 40 years now. Isn't this the highest receptivity you've ever seen? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think it's got to be now. Yeah. And it, it's just getting started. What Ken, yeah. you know, what I've heard over and over again is that this is going to be that, that entry by troops, which the Baha'i writings talk about, where people start embracing this faith in, in mass numbers. You know, we look at the world. Um, I think the world is a beautiful place. And I, I want to go back to that thing where you said disintegration and, and of course, the new world order arising. One of, sometimes people are really mad when you say new world order, especially in Christian groups. They'll say yeah. new world order and they talk about the Antichrist and yeah. you know how we'll all be slaves and we'll have a number stamped on our forehead and chips in our, implanted in our brains. And I said, well, those are, <laughs> that's really scary. That's awful. I surely yeah. hope that doesn't happen. I mean, it's just your imagination. So, you know, you might have bad dreams, but they're not going to happen either. And, and the yeah. Bible doesn't say any of that's going to happen. But yeah. you think it's going to happen. And if you actually read the Bible and actually understand who has all the who has all the power in the Bible? Well, Jesus Christ, of course. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, the power and the glory, uh, you know, from Jesus Christ Superstar, you have the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. And mm -hmm. of course, Christ has all the power in the Christian faith, which we as Baha'is believe in. And so to think that the Antichrist would have all the power is kind of silly. Because yeah. the Antichrist is, is, you know, and we know in the Baha'i faith that the Antichrist is actually someone who opposes the Christ, the messenger in every age. And mm -hmm. so the Antichrist is always very small relative to the Christ, the messenger. Yeah. And, they're, and they're really, uh, at the end of the day, we forget even their names because they're, 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 you know, the, the power of the messenger is so great. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, I always say, you know, have you ever considered a new world order where not the Antichrist is leading it, but Christ, which is much more logical. And this new yeah. world order isn't about power, um, and subjugation, it's about light and unity. It's, it's, it's the Christ spirit, it's the Jesus you love and return with this, with this lesson for humanity that here's, here's what we can do in this golden age. And mm -hmm. I went back to the Bible actually uh, yesterday as we were doing this, this class and one of the people in, had said, well, you know, that's not really in the Bible. I didn't see that in the Bible. So I went to the 21st chapter of uh, Revelation and went in, and there it said that um, there would be no more there would be no more need for the sun or the moon, which we know from the Baha'i writings is the is the religious leaders. Mm -hmm. We would have a Baha'u'llah. Literally said that. Oh wow! It's, uh, <laughs> you want me to read it to you? Sure, that'd be great. I'd love to hear that. Okay, I'm going to read it to you. Listen to this. I just, I just saw it today. It's right. In, it's actually Baha'u'llah's in there two times. I'll read this both times. I'm going to read you Reve 21, 10, and 11. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me, with, showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having Baha'u'llah, and her light was like unto a stone and most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. That's one mention of Baha'u'llah. But I mean, it's really... Um, right there. And then yeah. the next mention of Baha'u'llah, 
Um, and this is the chapter, by the way, that starts out with, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And you know, so it's talking about this glorious future. And then the mm -hmm. second Baha'u'llah, I'll read a couple, a couple verses going up. Um, mm -hmm. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every, every several gate was of one pearl and the street of the city was pure gold as it was trans, as it, as it was, as it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein for the Lord God almighty and the lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it for Baha'u'llah did lighten it. And the lamb, the Christ spirit is the light thereof. Right there. Wow, that's great. So when you say Baha'u'llah in the Bible it's saying glory of God, correct? It is, yes. Yeah, that's right, okay, very good. But that is Baha'u'llah. That's Baha'u'llah, exactly, yeah, I know. <laughs> so I thought, anyway, so I just think it's fun. It's funny that we're here and it's all there. I really am happy that we're getting more people talking about unity. And, you know, as Baha'is, we don't force our faith on anybody. I just, yeah. you know, as I, I tell people, look, you don't have to be a Baha'i like me, but at least we can start talking about the oneness of humanity. And it's so necessary mm -hmm. to have mm -hmm. this. And I'm really grateful for, I'm sure you've seen the, the writing from the house that they sent in July, the beautiful letter they sent about racism. I, yes. I, I treasure that, those types of letters that we're getting on how to deal with oh, racism. Yeah. And That's I'm scared beautiful. of so many non-Pies who, who really love it. Mm -hmm. In fact, one, one oh, person wonderful. I shared it and she said, I have no interest in religion, but you know what? I love this. I'm going to look at your faith. Just from that yeah. one letter. Wow, that's great. Ah, that's wonderful. Do you think that if history showed more heroic roles, there would be more people today like us who spread positivity and peace? Well, um, yeah, historically, yeah, but I think, um, uh, you know, it, it's 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 just the, it's it's just the matrix. You know, it's 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 the environment from which we have to emerge, and so then uh, it's a it's just a contrast that we all have to we have to shake off. You know, I always think of history is like a, if we if we live in it too much, like if we just focus on that, you know, like the slavery and the genocide and all these things, then it becomes like this burden becomes like a ball and chain shackles that we just drag around with us and it just creates all this agitation and anger so then uh we just have to so that it's it's very very dark but if we can somehow just break free from that and to me that's what these uh roles like i mentioned that are are, are articulated in the uh in the baha'i writings especially in the tablets of divine plan just give us that just that brilliant light that we can set our sights upon and, and strive to achieve. And so this is really the, it's a process of awakening that we're all involved in together. And, you know, we could, it's just like we're getting to the stage collectively, like we're going to that mountaintop, you know, I, I love that uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's speech, you know, that he's been to the mountaintop and we're all moving towards that mountaintop. And I think throughout time, We've, we, we all have been striving to achieve that, but now we've reached a, a stage in our collective, in all people, our collective ascent of that mountain where we can see that summit, that summit is coming into view, you know, which is the achievement of the, uh, of the unity of mankind. But then uh, we, I think we're beginning to realize that we can never achieve it unless we assist in a
another. See, we have to do that. So we all have to become allies and supporters and empowers of each other to the best of our ability. And so this is a great uh, challenge that we have, but it's a, it's a great blessing that we have at this stage in the awakening of, of humankind. And it's, uh, we, we, there's, there's, there's no time to delay. We can see that so clearly now. Yeah. But yeah, history is what it is. We can't really go back and, and change it, but we can certainly transform ourselves from that, from the place, you know, and I always think of our ancestors too, you know, the things that they prayed about, the things that they dreamed of, things that they longed for, yet they could never achieve it. But today, you know, we can, and we can do those things on their behalf. You know, all that suffering that our uh, ancestors went through, it doesn't matter if you're African descent or Jewish descent, whatever it is, we can, we, now's the chance we can redeem the, uh, the suffering, I, I should say, of our ancestors, the things that they could not achieve. We can, and we can do it on their behalf. Does that make sense? Yes, it does make sense. And you're right about how we can't go back and change history, but we of yeah. course can learn from it, which also yeah. does lead me into my next question that I have for you. So mm -hmm. um, I just have something that my friend sent me. It's about one of the greatest unwritten stories of America is the saga of American Indian and African interaction and cooperation. I'm going to just read this really quickly, and then I'll ask you the question. Local Native American populations gave refuge to runaway slaves, I mean runaway African slaves, in surprisingly large numbers in the South. The acceptance of those Africans into then racially unprejudiced American Indian cultures throughout North America was so common that the majority of today's African Americans have some measure of American Indian ancestry. Now, if things like this were taught more, or were taught or were taught more in school to younger students or just any students in school. Do you think that the topic of many historical conversations would be, I mean, won't be focused on the hate and more focused on unification? Yeah, yeah. You know, that is really an untold story because, you know, um, I remember years ago, I think it was about close to 40 years ago, I was at, I was invited to present at the, uh, Seminole Fair in, uh, near Hollywood, Florida, and I was with one of the uh, one of the tribal uh, leaders there, and and he was just walking around to give a tour, and there was a there was a whole large group, maybe about thirty or forty people of African descent, and they were all in this one area, and uh, and then and then he then he said, let's go over and meet these people, and he spoke to them, and he spoke to them all in a Creek language. All these people of African descent, they all spoke Creek language. That's their first language. And they're from Florida, you know, like it's called Muscogee, but uh, Muscogee language. But um, anyway, um, uh, apparently, you know, during the, uh, I suppose the 1800s, the, uh, uh, the, the native people offered asylum to uh, people of African descent who were, who were, who were fleeing slavery. And so the, uh, the, the native people, I suppose a lot of Creek, Choctaw, people like this, they uh, welcomed them. And, uh, and of course, the, uh, the, the people escaping slavery, they, they had no need to, to, to continue speaking English. And so they just, they just picked up the, the, spoke the language of the land, language of the land. And so uh, this continued. I don't know if there are people still in Florida 
of African descent that speak a Creek language, there may be, but I don't know. But I thought that was so interesting to see that. And of course, that's the underlying reason why the US government fought uh, three wars against the Seminole in uh, Florida, which is because the, uh, you know, all these uh, people who, who uh, supposedly owned the slaves, they uh, were influential in government. And so they, they raised funds, they, they lobbied Congress to uh, raise funds to, uh, to, to send military, uh, 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 you know, send troops to Florida to, to defeat the Indians who were harboring the runaway slaves. <laughs> so anyway, that, I think all these things are just little, little known facts of history, but they're, uh, they'll come out soon enough, I think. And it's, a, it's, just, it's really an interesting drama. But to me, of course, it's like I was saying, the main drama is what we can do right, right here and right now to more or less uh, you know, redeem all that suffering that took place at that time. Why don't we just end with a word of wisdom from my friend Kevin to young people. If you have any piece of advice, what would you say to the young people that are gonna be watching this? Well, to me, the, it's really inspirational, really inspirational to see the, uh, the, 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 the mandate, the goal of humanity rising, humanity rising, which is to really, uh, to really uh, use, you know, youth have so much energy, so much talent. And, and you know, I think, I wasn't a Baha'i then when I, especially as a junior youth, you know, that 10 to 15 year. But I think back then, I think of all the, you know, the things that you, the foundations that you set, the goals, the, the, the personal habits, the things that you do at that age are so, it's just like, it's like the baseline from which you build your adult, the rest of your life, I would say now, looking back. And this is such a great, uh, such a great enterprise, Humanity Rising, which is to encourage and facilitate the, uh, this path of service. Because, you know, this is really, this is, this is the path to the Holy Land. That's the path to the mountaintop, is that path of service. It's that beautiful road, the beautiful road that will, uh, that will really uh, uh, release us from the bondage, the shackles that have held back, held us all back. So if we can see ourselves in all these beautiful roles of, of service, and I think the paths are really well delineated on the Humanity Rising website. So uh, I, would just, I would just recommend that people look at that and, and begin to chart that course for themselves. Kevin, I really appreciate always talking to you. And All thanks, right, Kevin. Good. Have a good night. Great talking to you. Okay, good night. You take care. Aloha. Aloha. Aloha.